0: Hi everyone, I'm Luke, and welcome to Exploring Kodawari. This episode is part two of our exploration of Stoicism as a philosophy of life. In part one, we covered what it means to have a philosophy of life, and the risks of wandering and being aimless without one. And we also went into the specific philosophical concepts underneath Stoicism that make it a coherent philosophy of life. Basically, it's a way of viewing life and its challenges with more tranquility. Anyways, in this episode, we dive into the specific Stoic psychological techniques designed to help you implement Stoicism into your life. Unlike something like Zen Buddhism, even though it shares a lot of the same goals as Stoicism, Zen Buddhism prescribes hours and hours of practice in order to change your psychology. But these Stoic techniques are easy to try and get the point across quickly. Basically, it's a way to become a practicing Stoic without having to devote hours and hours of work. In just a quick two-minute reflection or visualization, you can take an event that was making you suffer and become at peace with it, or even use it as motivational fuel to become better. These techniques aren't about being lowercase s stoical, aka ignoring your problems, but they're about learning that most of our suffering comes from how we frame our problems. They're super useful. I can say personally that these techniques have gotten me out of various psychological traps that i found myself in over the years. So definitely at least give them a try and see if they're useful for you. Anyways, that's it for now. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode on the psychological techniques of Stoicism. And we're back.
1: Yes, let's pretend like it's a different day.
0: Yeah, the weather is really different today. Oh, we literally just uh, went to the bathroom and restarted from part one. <laughs> um, usually we just like do a podcast that's way too long and then I have to figure out how to make it into two parts. So for this one, I just preemptively figured out like you know stoicism sort of has the philosophy underlying it that's worth understanding and then the specific techniques can be like a separate separate episode and if you already know about stoicism you can probably just skip right to this one since you don't have to hear me blabber on about it (laughs) um so william irvine says at the beginning of his book on stoicism a guide to the good life um that Some people have personalities that are really well-suited for Stoicism. And then other people, maybe not so much. Mm -hmm. Some people thrive on anxiety too much. Very true. Some people can't seem to enjoy or find tranquility.
1: True. That's I I would say
0: for everyone, it's worth trying. Mm -hmm. And what's great about these is like, you don't have to, go live in a cave for a year to try out stoicism. You just have to go for a walk and try one of these techniques and see what it does to your psychology. Mm -hmm. If you like what it does, then keep trying it. Try out some other ones, right? And if you don't, then stop. It's sort of like trying a new diet or a new vitamin or whatever, it's just like, it's really worth trying. And I think for certain personalities that are struggling with certain things in life, but then really are aiming at you know something right stoicism can be a really powerful operating system yeah. to take on
1: also with certain people they just don't know any better like how to cope yeah. with it that's why they dwell on anxiety i didn't know any of this stuff i, mean, I didn't know either like, <laughs> like a year ago or some something.
0: people have it naturally like i think your dad has a lot of this wisdom naturally
1: that is very true
0: without yeah, I mean, reading an anything way. He just sort of, he's street smart. Yeah, you know? he says
1: something and I'm like, oh, wow, like that sounds, like, you know, I read that in a
2: philosophy book. Yeah, like, and he doesn't say it with a
0: philosophy language, Yeah, but yet it's, it's even meaning. more meaningful somehow sometimes, right? It's very true. Anyways, so the first technique is um, called negative visualization. And you hear endlessly in... um in in pop culture these days like about positive visualization right imagine yourself taking the audition and winning and all that stuff is good (laughs) this is a different exercise um this is the seneca quote he robs present ills of their power who has perceived their coming beforehand Mm. Uh, let me translate it (laughs) the person who um thinks about bad things coming before Mm -hmm. They come, takes away some of their power. Okay. So thinking of the negative things that will happen to you in life ahead of time will help you um, be less affected by them when they do come. Right? Yeah. Epictetus said, always keep in mind that, quote, all things everywhere are perishable.
1: Very true. That's an important thing too. So the
0: idea is it lessens the distress you will have when it actually happens. I feel like since a young age, that was me. Can I? Just imagining bad things happening.
1: Oh my God, we were so similar in that way. Like, that's why we were in like two different parts in the world doing the same exact thing.
0: Looking out the car window being like, what if we fall off the bridge?
1: (laughs) Oh my God, yeah. I would even like ask my dad, like, you know, like what's the percentage of risk that like this bridge just collapses on top of us? And then I would just make an escape plan. But anyway... Is there something so interesting? The escape plan
0: part is interesting. Oh
1: yeah, I would like do statistical analysis. Like if I go this way, but anyway, (laughs) there's something more interesting though. So all things everywhere are perishable, right? So in the entrance of our graveyards in Turkey, it says every living being is gonna taste death. Like not taste, Mm -hmm. quote unquote. In every single, like, entrance of every graveyard. Oh, this is the word that really? it says, which is so fucking weird. It's a dark, weird thing to have it?
0: on your yeah. graveyards almost. Like, it feels weird.
1: The entr- Like, grand entrance. Like, you That's know, what I mean. The if gate. You we were passing, one at the gate, yeah. I, I would that. almost
0: be like, when I pass it, I'd feel like I'm entering, like, a Harry Potter graveyard. Like, whoo,
1: yeah. Like, it's very dark. Like, I, th- but at the same very time, it's It's very true, first of all. Yeah, like, it's saying, like, you're not more or less than anybody like it's a nice reminder death is the
0: great equalizer yeah.
1: like it's there's this one graveyard in like the most like crowded like street that you're passing in, and it's just there and like it always gives me goosebumps huh. i don't know yeah there was one that i, I remember didn't know that or
0: I, w- I just didn't notice it
1: anyway there's that I, th- I don't know if it's like an islamic thing but it's, there's that wisdom there i guess
0: well marcus anyway. aurelius said um I'll, I'll, i'm roughly quoting uh he said Alexander the Great and his mule driver. You know, a mule is like a yeah. an ox or whatever. Donkey. Donkey, yeah, yeah. The the whatever. And his <laughs> donkey driver. <laughs> makes the quote sound bad. Alexander the Great and his driver um both died and became the same thing, dissolved alike into atoms.
2: Yeah.
0: Right? We we decompose and dissolve. And Marcus Aurelius talks about death a lot. Mm-hmm. And how we're all perishable and nature is constant change. Everything's always changing, including ourselves. And we have to follow that road where it leads, which is death. And he said, everybody extinguishes like a candle. And even the most grand among us, they will, there will come a time where everyone who knew them is dead. And then everyone who knew about them, who wrote about them is dead. You know, yeah, there are people from his time that we just don't even talk about anymore, right? Very
1: true, yeah. That's why, like, when I... Tell this quote sometimes, not quote, but that when I say this thing, I so first of all, let me just say what I'm saying. I always say, like, sometimes thinking of death gives me comfort, and it sounds like the most nihilistic sentence ever. But if I, I know could, what you mean, though, yeah, you do, right? Can you help me explain it then? Like, I don't have the right words, but it, it's just like I'm not
0: going to help you explain it. It's, I think it's too complicated to yeah. lay out in words. It's more of you know what we mean if you know what we mean,
1: yeah. It's not like I'm just having pleasure from that. But anyway, I don't want I to it I think you're
0: realizing that this whole thing doesn't work without death. Yeah. And it's an acceptance of reality as it
1: G- is. It helps me taking other things lightly, I also, guess. Also, it's
0: what yeah. gives things meaning and um, allows you to have uh, this feeling of, like, I should get to what I think is meaningful now mm-hmm. and not wait around for 50 years, like a vampire who lives forever, right? Yeah. So one way negative visualization helps you is that it prepares you for the negative things that will happen to you, right? People, you know, are going to die. Mm -hmm. It seems like a dark thing to just imagine that happening, but it's really just you being more realistic about the situation we're in.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And what it also does is once you imagine someone dying or anything else bad happening, negative visualization, you appreciate what you actually have. Very true. So hedonic adaptation is this curse we have from evolution and our psychology. This is Buddhism 101, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We're insatiable. We we can't satisfy our desires. As soon as we get them, we want more. Yeah. Our happiness is pushing us to get this thing, then we get it, and then we're unhappy.
1: Yeah, you buy a house. You're like, cool, it's too small, buy the next house. Oh, great, it doesn't have this backyard that I'm looking for. Yeah, it's there's, so, there's no end to it.
0: Buddhism gets around, get, solves that problem by saying, understand your desire and uproot it. Mm-hmm. Right? Stoicism, with this negative visualization, teaches you to appreciate what you already have. It's sort of like a reminder that we are already living the dream that we once had for ourselves. Isn't that crazy?
1: I love that quote, honestly.
0: There are moments from your past, there are things in your life right now that are what you dreamed about having in the past. Whether that's a job you're in, a marriage you have, a house that you just bought, right? There are things that would fall under the category of you are living your dream life. There are other things that wouldn't. You can choose how to frame those or work on changing them, but... To just pretend like you don't have what you have, you realize how much you can, you can reignite the genuine gratitude and appreciation for having them. Yeah. This guy, William Irvine, even talks about like imagining his wife dies. And then when he goes out of his office and goes downstairs to have dinner with her, boy, is that an appreciative dinner, right? Because I just did a negative visualization on you not existing. Instead of being distracted and coming down and being like yeah. in a bad mood and, and, and weird energy and resentful and all of that.
1: Yeah. A, a great story that just popped up in my mind. Actually, I coincidentally watched this yesterday. Remember that flight that landed on um, Hudson River? Like the survivors Sully, of that? Sully. Right? Yeah. Not, that was the guy's nickname, but.
0: The pilot. Captain Sully. Sully. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: But weren't there the story that the guy that survived. This was like, oh, I never, like, fought with my wife for a day there or was something. Yeah. was a TED Talk, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's like, doesn't matter. It's like, been years whatever. since yeah. I
0: saw that TED Talk, but yeah. I remember anyway, it I just, gave me goosebumps.
1: Yeah. Yesterday, I just watched the plane landing. Again, I don't know. Yeah,
0: you've been watching a lot of weird I mean, plane videos yeah, on YouTube. I
1: don't know. You don't know we're me.
0: flying in two weeks. You should probably stop.
1: I'm really enjoying it. Or keep though.
0: going. like you know, some Negative visual-
1: like, visualization, dude. Yeah. I'm watching a lot of plane crashes.
0: Oh, man, you're a stoic. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I figured <laughs> don't it out. Please all. don't
0: have a panic attack while we're in no, the air. I won't. Um, yeah, so negative visualization is is this cool thing to make you appreciate what you have.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It doesn't guarantee happiness, Right. It just means you're less miserable. You appreciate more. You might still have a hard life. You might still be unhappy. But negative visualization, you take what you have that's good. Everybody can point to at least a few things good in their life. And you take them away from yourself or you make more horrible things happen to you. And then you can be thankful that you're not living, at least you're not living that life. Right? That's true. Yeah. All right. So in the last episode, we also talked about the dichotomy of control. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is so much of a technique as more of just like a a framework for just making sense of the world. Mm -hmm. So the dichotomy of control is there are things we have control over and things we don't have control over. Mm -hmm. Usually the things we don't have control over or always are external, right? And the things we do have control over are sometimes external, but also always internal. In other words, we always have control over our internal um, framing of things, right? Yeah. Not, of course, how we hear a sound and the subconscious automatic things, but the the ultimate conscious framing that we put on something. Mm-hmm. Um, so the dichotomy of control, you remember the trichotomy? There are things you have some control some over. Control, it's like yes. that third category. Yeah. William Irvine talks about when you understand the things you have some control over thing, what you can do as a Stoic, knowing that you don't have control over the whole thing, is understand what you do have control over. So if he uses the example of a game of tennis. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: If you're about to have a game of tennis, instead of making the goal, I want to win this game of tennis, you can make the goal... I want to play my best.
1: Oh, sounds like a great audition advice at the same time.
0: It really is because yeah. you do not have ultimate control over whether you win the game or not. Very true. But you actually do have ultimate control. And again, this is from the Stoic viewpoint. There are ways of viewing free will and psychology and philosophy that you don't even have this control. But again, I'm going to at least live my life with the belief that I can. Mm-hmm. You have control over whether you play your best, over whether even when you're tired, you you really go for that hit, or whether you just kind of give up and, and let them get the point or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have control over whether you win, so set a goal. Don't set a goal, rather, over that, because then you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. Instead, set goals in the trichotomy part over things you have all or at least some control over, right? Preferably all. You have all control over whether you try your best. And probably trying your best will lead to more winning anyways, right? That's true. But it's just setting up the goal differently. And he says this interesting one about being in relationships and loving people and having them love you. He says, um, but when... When I do concern myself with this, my goal should not be the external goal of making her love me. No matter how hard I try, I could fail to achieve this goal and would as a result be quite upset. Instead, my goal should be an internal goal, to behave to the best of my ability in a lovable manner. Nice. Does that like shift of framing make sense to you?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: It's not, e- it's easy to say, it's harder to actually go into your psychology and change your motivation to really be like, my motivation is not to make that person love me. My, my main goal is to be lovable. Be
1: lovable. Yeah. Just to be my best, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's so the, the same that, that it's person the, it's the, it's has the
0: relationship a- version of the tennis match, right? Yeah.
1: Also it's the relationship version of that. Um, what was it that we were reading? The unselfishness, like Doing it for other people more than yourself?
0: Sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is sort of a, a, a technique for yourself too. You're setting yourself up for less disappointment That's true. because when she doesn't love you, which often will happen, you can at least say, I actually accomplished being as lovable as I could. This person just didn't love it, right? Sure. Whereas if your goal was to make her love you and then she doesn't, you failed.
1: Right? very true and yeah good way of so
0: framing it's, it's it, shifting sure. yourself to just be smarter about what goals you set so that you're not setting yourself up for goals you can't control yeah so that's that's the um sort of goal setting part of the dichotomy of control mm-hmm. trans life meditation this one is sort of just imagining yourself having a completely different life right mm-hmm. um There are a couple ways to do this. You can imagine yourself having an awful life.
1: You can imagine yourself being Jeff Bezos. (laughs) Sure.
0: And then you can imagine being Jeff Bezos and being miserable. That's true. Right? The way, the the version of this that really helps me find gratitude Mm -hmm. is imagining that my life, no matter how many challenges I think it has, whatever situation anyone is in, there's probably millions of people in the world who would trade anything to have your situation. Yeah. Your challenge is like, oh man, my my left arm is kind of sore from getting back in shape on violin. If only I were a the kind of player that didn't, you know, have nerve issues on my left hand, you know, somebody somewhere <laughs> yeah. would would laugh at that being your problem, right? It's true.
2: true.
0: not to say it's your only problem. Everyone has a boatload of problems, but the point is so many people would would trade uh, to be in your situation rather than their own, right? Yeah. So as a meditation for yourself, it's like the negative visualization. It just helps you really appreciate what you do have, right? Yeah. Um, the last time meditation, can you guess what that one is? It's,
1: this is the last time like I'm doing this, doing that, X, Y, Z. Every
0: action yeah. you do things you do every day, yeah. they will there will be a last time you do it, right? Oh,
1: like the last time you have <clears> your kid, like you won't remember type of thing?
0: Yeah, I mean. There
1: was that example somewhere.
0: People die, so there's going to be a last time for everything. That,
1: yeah,
2: that's true. But people
0: also change. So if you have kids, that you change your kid's diaper, your baby's diaper, right? There's going to be a every last day. time. There'll be a last year. time you change their diaper. You won't know it.
1: That's true. Yeah. You won't think of it that last way. The last time you're going to like carry something, like your kid or something because they're going to be too big. Yeah. yeah, pick them up. That was it that I remember. But know,
0: really heartbreaking things. There'll be a last time you kiss your wife, right?
1: Or there'll be a last time Yeah, you say whatever. There'll be a last time you like hug someone you know. or something, yeah.
0: And that that might be way sooner than you think because something tragic like a car accident happens. Yeah. It might be right on time because they're 90 years old and, and they yeah. have cancer. And
1: I think the most um, peaceful one that you can cope with is the version where you don't remember the last time. Because a lot of yeah. people like kind of get stuck on their last, like the last voicemail, the last. Yeah. Yes. Like I, I think that's that must the, be so painful.
0: The last time meditation is more to fix that problem before you have to deal with it. So you don't want to have to deal with the regret of not being fully present for things in your life Mm -hmm. only after someone dies. Mm -hmm. The last time meditation is a reminder that you should be present for most of what you're doing every day because a lot of those things might be the last time, right? Yeah. The last time you go to the grocery store. (laughs) Yeah. Like maybe if you're getting older and older, there'll be a last time you take yourself to the grocery store. True. And are you really paying attention to that, right? Mm -hmm. Or the la- like the last time you see someone, right? Yeah. Were you there or were you lost in thought? So it's just a an exercise that if you spend a minute on that even every day, it'll just be a little seed that you plant in your brain for that day to pay more attention. That's true. Everything you're doing could be for the last time.
1: Yeah, And we're in so much of autopilot that we don't really know a lot of... Those last times, like we were too lost in thought even. No, you we might
0: not even remember the them because we were so lost in thought. That's true. They're so far in the past. Someone's like, hey, when was the last time you changed your kid's diaper? And they're like, you know, I don't even know. Sometime in 2019, I guess. You know, like,
1: yeah, that makes sense though. But anyway.
0: I mean, yeah, I don't know if there's a way around <laughs> that. You're really tired when you have kids. Um, the storytelling frame, this is a funny one. This is like when you're in the middle of a, a crisis. Just imagine the story that you'll tell about this to your friends later
1: that's so funny honestly i had this wisdom without even knowing this i think a lot of the human beings again fall into the same types of thinking so like i used to do something i mean i still do sometimes but i would always like not always sometimes especially if it's like
0: ridiculous and i'm thinking i'm gonna tell a funny ridiculous story about the insanity (laughs) i'm going through right now yeah Or if it's just like so horribly, like your car got a flat tire on the bridge and then somebody crashed into you and like whatever happened, like it's so ridiculous. You're like, this will be a good, a good story in the future. Right. Yeah. So that's the storytelling frame. Um, Another one is called the stoic test strategy. I don't even know if these are not like the names they came up with. I think these are, these are sort of distilled from like their writings. Okay. Um, and I don't even know if these are Irvine's names. Some of them are like the next one, but I think a lot of it is just whatever I wrote in my notes, like probably on the <laughs> plane to Turkey, like half awake. So the stoic test strategy is to believe that the challenges happening to you in life is a game the, the challenges are a game between you and the stoic gods. Huh? Setbacks, right, are just tests directed at you, not because they're punishing you, but they're trying to make you strong and resilient.
1: That's a nice way of putting, for sure. Again, a lot of religions have similar, like, types of, you know, God is testing you type of thing, you know, like, different, similar types of framing, which is nice.
0: Like a rehearsal for skills you'll need later on. That's true, yeah. Sort of like the way your immune system needs to encounter disease when you're young so that it it builds up. Yeah, I
1: love this last sentence. You should feel flattered that you were chosen. Yeah.
0: (laughs) The stoic test strategy, if you really believe it, wow, the gods chose me to send this challenge to? I should be flattered that they're even thinking I could handle it, right? Yeah. Again, do you actually fully believe this? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I'm having a hard time (laughs) with this one.
0: I don't, but you can believe it enough to change your action. Yes. In other words, you know how a computer can sort of partition its hard drive and you can install like Linux on one side and like Mac, uh, uh, Apple on the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you can sort of partition a part of your hard drive to believe something like the stoic test strategy and let it, affect your behavior ultimately if someone held a microphone up to your mouth and said what is it that you truly believe you know in the eyes of god you might say like yeah i don't believe there are gods up there testing me in that way yeah but to to just run with the belief sort of like i'm running with the belief in free will even though if i really accept determinism it doesn't make sense but it just makes me behave better in the world so i'm gonna believe that as like an axiom like a truth Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. This one I think was my favorite of all the Stoic techniques. It's called prospective retrospection.
1: I've never heard of this.
0: Do you know what retrospection is?
1: Yeah, sort of. It's like,
0: you know, thinking about the past. I think it carries the meaning of like this kind of reflecting on the past, right? Yeah, okay. Imagine having a beer at a lake house. And you're alone and you're remembering the weekend you had there with like all your friends or something, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. You're reminiscing. Maybe that's the word, right?
1: Reminiscing. Yeah, that's a good one.
0: And what does perspective mean? means like ahead of time, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of similar to the trans life meditation. Like you're transing two different lives, except you're doing it between you and your future self.
1: Yeah, that's a nice one.
0: So you consider the fact that you are currently living moments in your life as you go about your daily life, including your challenges and the ridiculous, awful things like flat tires and fights and, and, mm-hmm. and challenges at work and getting fired and all, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You're living moments of your life that your older self will look back on.
1: Interesting. Okay, I definitely do this a bunch too without knowing what, that I was doing this. I think
0: you have, like your dad, a natural wisdom towards these things. I guess so. What I love about what William Irvine says, I think I stole this word from his description. He said, you're looking back. um, You are currently living moments of your life that your older self will look back on with a smile in a wistful state of mind. Mm -hmm. You know that word, wistful? I don't know. It kind of means, like, um, bittersweet. Okay. Like, imagine having that beer and just being, like, going, yeah, that was a good weekend, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's It's just a, it's, um, oh, I wrote here, like, you already do that when you're looking at an old photograph, or reading an old letter from your past, or you hear a song from way back in in your youth, and some vivid memory gets triggered by that song or the smell or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Irvine says that prospective retrospection will bring about quote, a delicious, but bittersweet stew of emotions. Interesting, Isn't that so good?
1: It is. Yeah.
0: This one, I think worked the best for me. I, yeah. I remember doing, he has a meditation on, on Sam Harris's waking up meditation app. Um, this guy, William Irvine has a whole stoicism section in the app. And this is one of the meditations that, that he, he sort of guides you through. And I remember in Turkey doing this one and it was like, we were going to eat dinner at like six something. And I did it like right before dinner. Mm-hmm. And I just remember coming back to dinner. I was like really paying attention to everything. Cause it just made <laughs> me think like. I'm living a memory that I'll look back on. You <laughs> meanwhile,
1: know? we were like yelling at each other. Yeah, meanwhile, like, you, ah! you
0: all were the opposite of tranquility, just like <laughs> yelling about like who sits where. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, so perspective retrospection is, you know, thinking of where you are right now and the kinds of stories that it will be in the future when you're thinking about the past with old friends, right? Mm-hmm. Um. The other quote this, I think this sums it up better than any of the rambling I've already done. <laughs> this is from Irvine. Um, he says, "Treat current events as if they are a cherished memory. Mm-hmm. It's easy to treat current events as an annoying thing to move on to the next whatever pleasure you're whatever. Treat everything right now. Pay enough attention to it like it's a cherished memory.
1: Yeah, that's a nice one.
0: So yeah, that's the list of techniques I wrote." There's probably more of them. Some of them overlap or they have the same basic theme, like mm-hmm. the trans life one and the um, prospective retrospection. They're pretty similar. Negative visualization and imagining your life going badly is pretty, like, you know, a lot of these are circling around the same thing. Like Marcus Aurelius's book just keeps circling around the same spiritual Thoughts and, and ideas.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, we could sort of skip over this section, I because I, we kind of went over it in part one. Yeah. But just the idea that Stoicism is sort of like the opposite of today's growing victimhood culture.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The idea that that certain people would encourage other people to view themselves as a victim is kind of disturbing. Whether society does that or not, it gets a little complicated. In other words, when you're making public policy and deciding certain groups of people need this changed because the past was unfair in this well, so way or there that is way. There's
1: no way of putting an end to any of that. Everybody's going to always demand something. So where do you like, do you just accommodate every single living no human end. being? Yeah.
0: And it, it also doesn't mean that you also, don't were, have compassion for people. Yeah. Um, in fact, I would say it's a common belief in today's culture that to, uh, to have compassion for someone is to see them as a victim. And I would say that is not having compassion for someone because you're failing, you're, you're having a few steps of compassion and then failing to realize how miserable it makes someone to be told that they're a victim Mm -hmm. or to believe that they're a victim. In fact, the much more compassionate thing to do is to do the hard work of changing people's mindset away from victimhood and towards self-empowerment, teaching them stoic type principles, you know, like life is suffering, but there's a way to frame it so that you can accept that, have dignity, aim at something meaningful, find tranquility, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of why I think Stoicism is so popular. This guy, William Irvine, said that when he started writing his book, I think in 2003, he like checked Amazon or something. I could could be off with the years a little bit. But there were like five to ten books. And then by the time he was publishing his book or – Maybe after he published it, whatever, 10 years later or so, mm-hmm. he checked Amazon again and there were like 800 titles or something. Mm. So it's, I think, one explanation for why Stoicism is so popular is people are hungry for it. Yeah. Um, it doesn't they- make us feel good to be told, like... Everything wrong in your life is the fault of these things and, and you yeah. can blame them. And it's That's just true. not very self-empowering. It doesn't
1: give you the tools to cope with it also. It just Makes gives you, you the like energy. then resentful energy. doesn't really give you any other like things that you need to. It stains,
0: as Marcus Aurelius would say, it stains your spirit.
1: Yeah. It doesn't help you like steer your way around like life. Yeah. That's true.
0: So, I wrote as a conclusion a a story about a Stoic philosopher named Julius Canus. Um, So, the phrase written about him uh, uh, by Seneca was tranquility in the storm. And I think the idea is, it's one thing to be sitting in your living room slash kitchen, that's one room, like we are, (laughs) and say these things right Mm -hmm. it's another to sort of live them out but it's another to maximize them when you're forced to by by reality to
1: deal with that yeah
0: the phrase in english would be put your money where your mouth is right in other words you could say something but when you bet money on it then i believe you very true there's probably a a saying for that in turkish right like just I, I, i won't believe you until you blah blah blah
1: Uh, I mean, I can, if I think I could come up with one, but I know what you mean. Yeah, Um, we probably do.
0: Just this idea, like, you know, are you really believing in that philosophy if you haven't been tested by reality, right? So anyways, uh, this guy, Julius Canus, angered Caligula, the Roman emperor, who eventually ordered his death. Mm -hmm. And this guy, Canus, a Stoic, Mm -hmm. was walking to his execution and his mind was very calm. And um, somebody asked him, like, how are you, how are you so calm right now? Mm-hmm. And he answered, um, you know, I'm awaiting the moment of death to find out if the spirit is aware that it leaves the body. And Seneca about this story, there's more to it than, than what I just said. Mm-hmm. But he called it tranquility in the midst of the storm no one has ever played the philosopher longer.
1: What does that last sentence mean?
0: No one has played the philosopher. The philosopher yeah. a, as a role, right, is uh-huh. actually believing. Like the Stoics believe that you should follow okay. your path wherever it leads, including death.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And most people could say that, but then when they're walking to their execution, but
2: they're actually like, they're no. like whining. Yeah. Or, but
1: yeah, I see. Okay. I, I understood that. No
0: one has ever played the philosopher longer. Okay. And you see this a lot with, with the Stoics is that they got street cred, you know? Mm-hmm. One of the things they did is when it came time to <laughs> do what they said they believed, they actually did it, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I thought of something, but yeah.
0: So anyways, yeah, just to sum up both parts here, it's like Stoicism. It's a cool framework to think about the world. A lot of it. Syncs up with modern science, determinism, right? Yeah. You don't have to believe crazy ideas about metaphysical things. Although some of that is in stoicism, you can leave those parts out. You can basically just believe that I'm not in control of a lot in my life and I fundamentally have a choice to accept it or to fight against it, right? To be in harmony with nature or or to fight against it.
1: Yeah. In every religion and kind of you know mentality there's parts that not every but most of it like there is parts that you can adapt to yourself and there's parts that you're like eh, like you know what i mean yeah it's I, entirely possible i like the
0: phrase eric weinstein came up with he was talking about politics but i think it works for religion too
1: mm-hmm.
0: you want to dine a la carte
1: very true <laughs> <You know? laughs> i agree
0: why do i have to order christianity or order <laughs> buddhism can't i dine a la carte Very
1: true. <laughs> that's a great one actually yeah <laughs>
0: um And also that's just in closing that story about Kanu's being the philosopher that long. It's also setting up a false ideal. You know, if you can't find that level of um, logical coherence between your stated life philosophy and how you live it fine.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like for instance, when the, Plane goes into a turbulence, I start praying all of a sudden, you know?
0: Well, yeah, because maybe you're not an atheist, even though your mouth says you are. Why are you praying when the plane's in turbulence? (laughs) Great question. Um,
1: Just guaranteeing my spot, you know,
2: just in case. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, uh, it's not signing up for stoicism or not. I think it's just realizing that there's a lot of wisdom that's all organized under this particular philosophy, and extract from it what you can. I encourage you to read William Irvine's book. Mm-hmm. I think that book will give you the the general framework of stoicism in more detail than we did here. Yeah. I also wrote an article about it that that'll be in the episode links, episode notes. Mm-hmm. But for me Marcus Aurelius's Meditations is probably the best book to leave lying around your house. Yeah. There's no order to it. You can Rob literally then, flip the page yeah. anywhere. And read an entry. They're journal entries, and some of them are one sentence, and some of them are a few paragraphs. But they all kind of center around this same concept of of how we open part one. How you know, how to live a good life. Mm-hmm. How do we accept death? Like these these big zoomed out questions. All right, cool. You ready to cook some dinner? Yep. All right. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. Bye. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Exploring Kodawari. If you enjoyed it, we hope you'll consider sharing it on social media and with friends. You can also help us out by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Those help us more than you would think. And if you'd like to help us out in a more substantial way, consider going over to our website to make a donation through PayPal. Links are in the episode notes for this. You can do this as a one-time donation or a recurring monthly donation. All of that support will help us to set aside time in order to create content for the podcast and the blog. And finally please get in touch with us and say hi, either on social media or privately through email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and see you next time.